you know, people generally in life to say, you know, life is not honky-dory like we think it is. You know, there are trials and tribulations, but the way you rise above the tide is what matters. The mental journey through this process was probably not as bad as you would expect because it's a process where you kept very busy. There's so many tests you go through. And then it's all action, then it's all a case of putting one foot in front of the other, really. Recovery from cancer is anything but straightforward. For most, it's an ongoing process, one spanning weeks, months, and sometimes even years, or the rest of your life. Managing the physical recovery, as well as the mental one, takes time. Today, you'll hear from peers on the other side of their cancer journeys. They'll talk about the challenges they've faced in the short, medium and long term, what they've learned from recovery and how, in some cases, they've changed. Now What? Your Cancer Support podcast is an NHS podcast series where you'll hear frank and honest accounts from over a dozen cancer patients about their experiences with a disease that at some point, directly or indirectly, affects us all. Consider them your peer support network. I'm your host, Julia Bradbury. In 2021, I became one of the 375,000 people who are diagnosed with cancer in the UK every year. I know firsthand what it's like to have your life suddenly upended by this disease and the havoc it can wreak on your body, mind and everything in between. I also know that with a little bit of luck and a lot of expertise, that surviving cancer isn't just possible, it's becoming more and more likely with every passing year. If you're listening to this podcast, it's likely that you or someone you love has recently received a cancer diagnosis. No doubt you've got questions, and lots of them. Our hope is that this series can provide you with some answers. Our peers come from a wide variety of backgrounds. One thing that they all have in common? First-hand experience with cancer in its many shapes and forms. So think of us as your cancer support group, just in audio form. Today's topic of discussion, owning your recovery. One of the first things many patients will feel following a diagnosis is a sense of vulnerability that they've never had before. Grappling with a disease that can kill you inevitably leaves one reckoning with their own mortality. That's a feeling Donald could certainly relate to. You realise that you're not here forever kind of moment. And your body does need looking after if you feel the urge to shout and scream and cry or to disappear under the covers and try to hide away from it all or head to the fridge to eat your feelings, just know that all of these are valid responses. Low mood is a common response to trauma. In fact, one in four cancer patients will experience depression after surgery. When you have been diagnosed with cancer, I think um, allow yourself to grieve. Some patients, like Vimbai, initially felt let down by their bodies. They placed blame on themselves. 
it's a form of healing because you know you 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 have to accept it you are allowed to feel hurt or betrayed by your body or, or whoever we think caused the disease right or the previous generation that what these faulty genes or if i marry somebody and my children go through those things so i think um yeah my cancer changed me a lot a lot lot it's easy to lose trust in what your body's telling you even if on the surface all seems fine a state of mind that can be difficult to move past you know you wonder what's growing inside you even though you still feel well and for those that do, their scars are a permanent reminder of what they went through. Because I, I had a hysterectomy and a stoma uh, at the end uh, because of colon cancer. The first scar is just like straight down the middle. So he cut through the most beautiful part of my skin that I had. That was the only nice bit of skin uh, that was smooth in my body, I think. And he ruined it with a like a really long scar. But... He did it really well and he didn't staple it. Unfortunately, the second time round, he did staple it because he'd, he'd gone through the same scar, so he had to, you know, staple it. So I compared my uh, first scar with my sister and I said, well, my, my scar is it's so 10 out of 10 compared to your two. <laughs> For a number of our peers, like Sirdar, he found himself frequently saying one thing whilst feeling another, like during his diagnosis. He brought me the news, basically saying, yeah, said, uh, I'm afraid to say, it looks as though uh, you've got cancer in your prostate. I said, fine. But, I, I, yeah, I didn't obviously say fine in that kind of tone. Obviously, I was nearly, uh, I nearly uh, burst into tears. But anyway. For others, like Brian, for example, a focus on their mental well-being was as important as anything physical. In fact, the two are often inseparable. And I'd also been on a research programme with Maidstone Hospital before the operation where they measured my level of fitness. And there was a very motivating doctor there, a chap called Mike Browning, it was extremely motivating and also thought about the mindfulness aspect as well as the physical aspect. And they had me doing the, these exercises and tests and so on before the operation and after the operation. So actually being there and going through the level that I'd got to was really sort of quite a, a great motivation. And he was the person that instilled in me the, the concept of effectively mindfulness, mind over matter, with the recovery process. Uh, and I think I owe him quite a, a debt of gratitude for, for, for that. For many of our peers, strong-minded and strong-willed folks who felt very much in charge of their own destinies, cancer represented a loss of agency over their own lives. And acknowledging that they couldn't control everything was something they had to do in order to move forward. Like if you're the main breadwinner, for example, and you're suddenly going to be out of work for a long time. The stress of cancer is compounded by worries about bills and mortgages. What if you're the primary caregiver to children or an older relative, perhaps? Regardless of what role you play in your life and the lives of the people around you, cancer will affect your ability to perform it. 
For Jad, that kind of vulnerability was difficult to make peace with. I'm, I'm not a person who has been ill before, <laughs> not significantly, only my, my, minor illnesses. Uh, so um, the, the experience of being a patient was unusual to me. And, and this, this whole business of, of lying on my back with the legs in stirrups and so on, being, being, being um, completely defenseless, that was, that, that was, that was difficult. For Vimbai, accepting what she could and couldn't control was the key to unlocking her life after cancer and a vital lesson to impart upon her children. You can't control what somebody else does. You can only control how you can manage that situation for the betterment of your family, your life, or those people who want what you want as well. That's what I think, you know, it's, it's made me realize, you know, there are some things in life I can't control and those things I don't have to worry so much about them, you know, like, you know, the issue of cancer. I, I can't control where it's leading me. What I know is there are lots of treatment and I can, you know, allow them to help me as my So I try to attend all my appointments. I try to follow what this consultant, the specialist tell me. I, I try to read other things, you know, like herbals and eating healthily, exercising, you know, and just doing charitable things really and not just sitting and wallowing my sorrows and thinking, oh my God, why did I have cancer? I'm going to die. No, 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 no. I've realized, you know, that it just makes me a sad person. So I've embraced. So I think this is the new me. You can tell I talk a lot and, and I just hope someone will benefit from me imparting whatever I came across. For Chi, getting through her recovery was about taking it one small step at a time. But it's about how do I get through this? How do I get through today? How do I get through tomorrow? And making peace with the fact that as much as she was the one at the wheel, she would never know what terrain lay ahead. You don't have control in any of this. Everything is taken out of your control you have nothing. It's, it's like starting right at the beginning. Someone's guiding you from A, B, C, D, and you need guidance. And then you can flourish at the end of it, you know, and you get through it and survive it. In the medium term, when patients are given the all clear, knowing that cancer can reoccur can make moving on with your life something far easier said than done. A feeling Donald knows all too well. But now, you know, with my first year review coming up, uh, then I started to, uh, I, uh, the last chat I had with a surgeon uh, not so long, uh, a couple of months ago, he sort of looked at me and said, hmm, so are you a worrier? Uh, at which point uh, my wife, bless her, didn't burst out laughing, but I think, you know, probably he'd, he'd hit the he'd hit the nail on the head. Um, so I tend to get the collie wobbles about, well, hmm, uh, I've looked at my numbers, you know, um, but what do they mean, you know, uh, the, at that point, I'm not the expert, but I do know, you know, at least I know what the numbers are. And, you know, but, but again, you get the reassurance of, look, you know, there's no point in worrying um, a, for a kickoff, you know, sort of uh, the attitude to cancer can influence the outcome of it. 
And also he said, you know, nothing's going to get out of control quick because we're watching it like a hawk. You know, he said, even if we do nothing, uh, you know, the life expectancy is, you know, 10 to 15 years, you know, for someone like me. So, well, that'll put me 85. I guess I shouldn't argue too much by then. All of that being said, the follow-up checks can still be a highly stressful experience. Teresa certainly felt that way. I was happy to stay neutral until we've finished all the chemotherapy and the first few CT scans, because I believe that cancer can reappear quite soon after the surgery. So the longer that you don't have cancer, the better the outcome. But really did shit myself at the thought of receiving the ultimate bad news. But like I say, you know, I've been very, very lucky with the care I've got. And so far, I have not received the bad news. Getting comfortable with the idea that cancer may be in the rearview mirror can take time. But I know from my research that the chances of me getting it back again are not very great. However, I still need to be vigilant. And I think it's that constant vigilance that, that can get wearing. But as long as you don't dismiss it, that, oh, it's, it's gone now, um, or it's nothing to do with me. So being Welsh helps to become exposed to death at an early age. Everybody in, in Wales is really obsessed with death and that kind of thing. Um, so it's not that I shy away from it. I just, I've just brought it in. And, I, and that's when I said, I, I don't know how many more years I've got left. And so I still think about, I don't know. But if I can plan the time I've got left and do something positive, which I think I'm doing now, that's what keeps me going. The last stage most people will go through during their recovery is recalibration. One thing a lot of our peers had in common was this notion that cancer narrowed their focus and helped them concentrate on what mattered. That can be something as simple as spending time doing things that you really want to do. For Teresa, that was horse riding. I've always, always been absolutely nuts uh, about them. Yeah, there's that and painting, uh, that's my background, but mostly, you know, the horse is a bit more uh, interactive. It was one of the great things, well, that would work, really, that worked well for me. For journalist and author Jad, it was time to reflect on a lifetime's worth of writing. I've been writing a diary continuously since 1990. So I've got a vast bank of these things. And um, I'm currently uh, working on, on trying to transcribe the diary uh, because it's in longhand. Uh, so I'm reading it into voice recognition software in order to, to have it in a form in which it can be searched and which I, I could give to uh, an archive. When, when I die. And that's one of the things I was thinking about um, because a cancer diagnosis does concentrate the mind. And so I was thinking of all things, what would I be sorry I, 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 I hadn't done? And one of the most important was I want to have the diary available for uh, research. And so that was something that I, I, I prioritized. And I probably wouldn't have done that without a cancer diagnosis. For Jim, it meant looking outward. As you say, it's how quickly your priorities can change and how quickly what you take for granted can, can be taken away from you. The interesting thing is that 
once you make yourself known as a as a sufferer stroke survivor, the number of people who tell you, oh, I've got that as well. Uh, and, and just that ability to um, to share experiences has been very worthwhile. And I, and I hope that this, this conversation will, will, will prove to be as valuable as well. Dave felt compelled to help others by sharing what he'd gone through. One of the things I'm, I have done is I've recently got in touch with a charity called Fight Bladder Cancer because they're, they're looking for patient advocates. And so that's one way I might keep in touch and not, not own the cancer that I'd had, and um, which I was so lucky to have had treated at the right time, the right place, in the right kind of way, with the right result. As for whether cancer fundamentally changes you, for John, survival meant a newfound appreciation of life. I just feel lucky to be alive, to be honest. I just sort of relish every day. I think, you know, that's the top and bottom of it. I'm dead lucky. Really lucky. Really lucky. For Brian, there came the renewed belief that ultimately, however dire the situation might seem at any given point, there's always light at the end of the tunnel. But that also, he had to credit his own inner strength and the strength afforded to him by others. I think it strengthened my approach to these sorts of things because, yes, I do like to go out and do things and have a positive attitude. But on the other hand, I think when you realise what you can overcome and the help that you get from people, because a lot of friends have been very, very helpful. As for advice, as far as Therese is concerned, if you're still breathing, you must be doing something right. I wish I could inspire other people to... I suppose not, not panic, not think the worst, although God knows I was prepared for the worst. But, you know, while, while your heart's still beating, you're still living, there's always hope. There just always is. Life, particularly as we get older, is full of uncertainty. Questions about our health, our emotional fortitude and how long we have on the planet are inevitable considerations for anyone of a certain age and many people besides. There can be a lot of fear in the not knowing. Dave, having had his brush with cancer, found one of the most liberating things about overcoming the disease was that the experience took away a lot of that fear. It's owning it. That, yes, this is happening to me. And this, and, and this is what I need to be able to deal with as opposed to dismissing it entirely. But also, um, it, it, it has to become part of your identity from then on. Because otherwise, you know, it's something that isn't me. And I think it's important to understand that it is something, not to make it your identity, but part of your identity. Um, and I, I am what we might call a cancer survivor now. Um, so I, I wouldn't use that term about myself, but that's what other people might say. And it's been important to me to acknowledge that I have had that. Chi and Wendy, two of our contributors from whom you've heard from a lot throughout this series, are now on the other side of their respective cancer journeys. Nevertheless, cancer remains a big part of their lives. And since going through their own battles, they've become patient advocates. In fact, that's how they met. I felt that we were both very proactive after the initial shock of everything. And then we were seeing what was working for us and what limitations within the service that uh, was around us and then how we got through it and how we got past it. 
But one of the things I found, there were so many people that would come up to me from all walks of life, from different cultures that would say, oh, are you one of the consultants or are you, you know, you know, who are you? And when I says, oh, I'm here as a patient, you know, cancer patient, you don't look like a cancer patient. You don't act like a cancer patient. And then they would say, I'm so afraid, you know, what do you know, what am I supposed to expect and blah, blah, blah. And it was then, I think by the time the third person confronted me with literally that same question, I thought I have to be part of doing something for us cancer patients. I was so ill, I could, I could hardly walk. Um, so pretty much for like 18 months. So I saw a lot. And because I was just so ill and didn't have the energy to do anything at, at those points. Instead, Chi spent a lot of that time observing. When I went through different parts of the the hospital again and through different uh, processes again, um, later on uh, through the years, I saw these people struggling with it very early on in their process. For Chi, being as weak from the medication as she was for so long, she found it difficult at times to take ownership of her recovery. But when her cancer reoccurred and she found herself crossing paths with first-timers, she knew that with her newfound experience, she could help them to take ownership of theirs. Chi's cancer experience led her to completely reshuffle her priorities. Before her diagnosis, she was regularly working long hours and weekends in her job as a graphic designer. But after... Now it's life experiences. Who am I going to meet? What experiences am I going to talk about? You know, where am I going next? The work is right at the bottom. It just gives me the money to do all the things that I need to do. Yeah, I think when you're young, you're always chasing the next day, aren't you? And now, because of the experience of cancer, I'm, I'm not chasing anything. I'm experiencing the moment now, today. For Wendy... Owning her recovery meant reclaiming her agency, whilst making peace with the fact that the future is unknowable. It's normalising it for, yeah, it's for us as cancer patients. We have to normalise what's going on with us. For someone who's not had cancer, because that's our normal, that's our normal life that we're living, and we will live that for a very, very long time, if not forever, because it's always there at the back of your mind. What if it comes back? It came back twice, you know, for me. And, you know, you saw that horror on people's faces, like, oh my gosh, I thought you were cured. And especially my family. But shit happens, excuse my French. And it's come back again. And we're going to do something about it. And it might come back a third time. And I'll do something about it because I'll fight this as long as I need to. Um, so I almost live within today, I'd say the smells, the sights, just watching people, watching young people being in love or older people, you know, holding hands and, you know, watching nature. It's just so wonderful. And just being mindful of everything around me, it's it's. It's just really, really a wonderful way for me to live and to be grateful that I'm here today. Tomorrow, 
Now I understand when my, you know, older people would say, tomorrow's not promised to any of us. So now I understand that now. My children understand it. You had to stand still. It stopped you from moving. You stood still. And that was the best thing because you have no other alternative than to focus on you and look at your life. You had to stand still. It stopped you from moving. You stood still. And that was the best thing because you have no other alternative than to focus on you and look at your life. Um, and life is wonderful. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You've got to see it that way. Now what? It's a good question. Cancer seems to bring up endless numbers of questions and everyone will have a different answer. As you've heard, the way forward is specific for every cancer patient and the answers for one person aren't necessarily the answers for another. It takes courage to face each new day when dealing with cancer and its treatment. However, as our contributors have shared, it is possible to find joy, meaning and community, even in the darkest times. The contributors and the team behind this series, including myself, hope that these 10 episodes of our podcast have given you a sense of the many options available to you. If we've imparted any wisdom, it's to take one day at a time, ask for help, trust your instincts, and don't forget the you at the centre of this upheaval. Our hearts go out to those of you going through a cancer diagnosis. We hope the attached resources help you and your loved ones in some way, and we wish you courage and strength throughout your journey. Now What? Your Cancer Support Podcast is an NHS podcast produced by What's the Story Sounds. It's hosted by me, Julia Bradbury. For more information on the topics discussed in today's episode, as well as links to additional resources, please check out our show notes. The series was created by the leading cancer specialists at Guy's and St. Thomas's Hospital and their patients, whose personal testimony you'll hear on this and every other episode of the podcast. We're beyond grateful for their contributions. Brian, Chi, Dave, Donald, Jad, Jim, John, Serdar, Teresa, Vimbai and Wendy were the peers who featured in this episode. This episode was produced and edited by Jack O'Kennedy. Executive producers are Daryl Brown, Sophie Ellis, Stephanie Fraser, Naomi Good, Zainab Noor, Jessica Nyman, and Julia Tadeo. Special thanks to Placida Oginaka, Abiola Coca, Evan Russell, and Guy's Cancer Charity.